This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Hi, this is Arjun. I love to win, but what I've found is when you're part of a team and you win big, it puts us all in position to sustain these wins and future successive wins become so much easier. And as each one of us are different, it's really fun to bring you conversations with leaders from all walks of life and all over the world because that input helps each one of us. In that spirit today, my VIP guest is Rich Blackman. One of the first words when we, anybody who knows Rich, is two things that come out, come to our mind. One is a thorough gentleman and always inspires you and makes you feel good about working with him, even being with him, whether you're golfing or anything like that. And that to me is a very, very rare skill that has been with Rich Unifor all through his career, all through his life. He's a high impact, he has a high impact career in tech, leading global teams in channels, alliance, and direct sales. In current role, he's a CRO and head of strategy at Scalex AI, an exciting AI firm delivering high-level performance for sales teams. And I'm really intriguing to understand a little bit more about how he's doing that. And his past accomplishments, he started his professional career as a United Methodist uh, pastor, and then he moved on to spend 19 years with IBM in sales and marketing leadership roles, and then 10 years as sales VP for Miller-Hyman, where he led sales transformation for some of the world's greatest companies. So if you start looking at the intersection of an amazing human being who is a truly core people person, then he was trained at the best place, IBM, and he had leadership role. And then he goes and makes incredible impact for 10 years. Rich, truly a pleasure and an honor to have this conversation with you, my friend. Uh, Arjun, uh... You know, you're your friend and a colleague, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be with you. I'm, I'm uh, more than honored that you asked me to join you in this conversation, and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what we can explore today that can uh, help others uh, do everything that they can do to win big. Absolutely love that, and I am fortunate to have the best sit in the, seat in the house to listen to you. So let's start, you know, you have an amazing career in delivering big wins for sales and strategy. Amazing people person, congratulations for impacting, influencing all of us. But I want to start at the very beginning. Your career, your life, I cannot say career, it was more about giving back to the community and your passion as a United Methodist pastor. What were some of the big learnings from those days that have guided you during your entire career? It was a 
It was an interesting time in my life, Archon. Uh, it started when I was 20 years old, if you can think of that. You know, think of a 20-year-old just brand newly married and, and serving as the pastor of two churches out in rural Illinois. Uh, so I grew up quickly and learned quickly while I was going to graduate school. And I'll, I'll tell you two stories, I guess, that come out of that, that will answer your question. The first one was, as most pastors, when you finish the church service at the end of the day, you walk down the aisle and you stand by the back door to shake everyone's hand as they leave the church. And there were two kinds of things that people would say to me on the way out. One of them was, nice sermon today, Pastor. And to me, that was like the kiss of death. That meant they were either not listening, they were sleeping, didn't care, weren't engaged. And that meant I had done nothing to have an outcome impact on them. The other kind of response I got was, you know, Rich, there's some things that you said today that I've really got to think about. They, some of them, they, they really bother me a little bit. And at that point, I knew that I'd done my job that I had created an outcome for them. It wasn't about, it had nothing to do with me. It was all about the outcome for them. So that was, that, that's the beginning of something you're gonna hear a lot about in our conversation today is, is the outcome for others. The second, second story I'll tell you is that Obviously, I left that and, and moved to join IBM in Minneapolis in 1977. And the reason that I did was because I discovered after two years that there's a challenge in ministry, and I think many of us face this challenge in our lives, between supply and demand. And the demands on a small town pastor that serves two churches, much less is, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old and newly married and, and goes to school and teaches college classes and fries chicken for, or fries fish for Long John Silver at the same time. Uh, the demand on that person doesn't have a natural resupply mechanism, whether it's for their faith, whether it's for a supporting structure around them. And I didn't know anything about, you know, having a, a tribe of mentors as, as our friend Nick would, would talk about. Uh, I didn't know anything about those things. And so I was, I was worn out from demand from, 
getting a call at five in the morning from a parishioner, sitting on my front porch Saturday afternoon and having somebody walk down the street and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, we want to get married today. Can you come down to the house? Hmm. Um, and with all that demand, you know, burying the, the mother of somebody that was barely older, barely older than me, myself, uh, as part of my duties, the, the supply back to me just wasn't available. And I got out of whack mm -hmm. on supply and demand. So I learned a lot about going forward. What is I going to have to do to balance supply and demand mm -hmm. if I was going to be successful in my career? Love that. So to me, the two big ahas for me right away are, and I'm taking it beyond your role as a pastor right there is giving a sermon or sharing content means nothing unless the content results in outcome for them. As you talked about, outcome for others is the goal. Otherwise, we just are literally checking a box that I showed up, I spoke. And the second, this I think is huge for all of us is, you know, that one line I really, it resonated with me is does not have most of us by default, natural resupply mechanism and without which supply, you know, wears you down. And that's the worst feeling to be because the fun is lost. So from there, you go to, IBM, one of the biggest brands in 1977 you could have gone to. What was the transition like? What were some of the key lessons IBM overall and IBM sales taught you? Well, when I first arrived, uh, Arjun, especially when I dropped into the first year of basically the first year at IBM sales is, is training. Mm -hmm. Four or five year, four or five week classes at a time down in Atlanta, uh, all pre-programmed to to transition you into culture, transition you into a process, uh, but to to make you an IBM salesperson, uh, all of the things that no companies do today. Mm -hmm. um, it was like dropping me onto the campus of Harvard or Notre Dame. Mm. Uh, you go around the first class, everybody does their self-introductions, the first class. I was the youngest captain in the Air Force. Hmm. I started my business at age 12, and so on and so on. All of a sudden, I'm in a realm where everyone was the best, mm -hmm. and they were very competitive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd come out being the best in my high school. I'd come out of my graduate degree with a 4.0, with a master's degree. But now that was in a, in a mix of everyone. Now I'm in a mix where everyone's like me. Mm -hmm. And that transition was really interesting to try and figure out how do you fit in and, 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 and how are you going to uh, differentiate yourself? So to me, in an earlier conversation, I was talking to one of my 
alumni friends from the engineering college I went to. And when I asked him, what did engineering college teach you? And he said exactly the same thing that Arjun, I was the number one student in my school, this, that. But all of a sudden, when I go to a place where I am with 30 other number ones, he said, the most important thing I learned is how to work with people smarter than you and not lose yourself in that journey. So it, what you're talking about is really resonate in that. So a little bit more about the culture of IBM and let's talk a little bit about sales also. So what were some of the key insights on sales learning that you got based on the training and overall culture from IBM? So, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a storyteller like you are. Um, when I went on quota in sales, my first sales job, in the first six months, I didn't sell anything, mm -hmm. nothing. Mm. Um, thought I was doing everything right. Mm. Presentations, demonstrations, proposals, sales calls. But my boss came down to see me, Bill Leahy. Mm -hmm. He was from, I was in a remote office. He was from the main branch office in Minneapolis. And he sat down with me and he said, Rich, I have one question for you. Do you want to get paid for activities or for results? Because the way I see it after six months, activities will pay your base salary for another three months. If you want to get paid for results, that's another story. Now, fortunately, and he reviewed everything I had been doing and we talked about it and we went out on a couple of sales calls together. I finished that year 175% of my full year quota, having not sold anything for a half a year because I had done all the right stuff, mm -hmm. but that's not what I remember. Mm -hmm. What I remember is that key question you want to get paid for activities or do you want to get paid for results? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to move from an academic kind of an environment into a large global environment where people are not only going to get paid based on results, they're going to get promoted based on results mm -hmm. and you know, my wife and I moved 11 times in 19 years with IBM, hmm. all based on promotions. Um, I learned that lesson in six months and was huge to the formation of, of what, what sales meant to me. Mm -hmm. Um, culture, I learned a couple of things. IBM at the time was not a tech company, uh, probably still isn't, uh, no matter what you th people think about IBM. It's in the industry of being a global company, like other global companies and other big global companies. And it certainly was back then. There were no other companies like IBM at the time. And 
So at the time, what was important that we had sort of big concepts that would guide things and could keep everybody aligned. Yeah. Back all the way to Tom Watson, our one of our main sort of corporate bywords was think. There was the IBM think sign. You'd see it every place. Just a reminder that it's everybody's responsibility to stop, think, doing the right thing. Have you got it figured out? Do you need help? Need some other people to help you think? But at the end of the day, make sure that your, your work is based on thinking. Um, we had another famous phrase that I still use every day. It's called ever onward. No what matter what happens. What is it again? Ever onward. Got it. No matter what happens, ever onward. We even had a song, ever onward IBM. Hmm. Uh, but it just, it's a, you know, it's, it's a big concept, but it keeps people aligned. No matter what, we're going forward, ever onward. Um, and probably one of the, the last ones about culture was that um, we had maybe one of the original open door policies that said that any employee at any level in the company, if they had an issue about something that was going on in the company or an issue with their manager, their manager's manager, even if that was the chairman of the board, their manager's manager always had an open door and their employee had a right to go walk in that open door, close the door, have a conversation, and have no repercussions from having that conversation no matter what they needed to talk to them about. Mm. And so if you have a big company, you need to have big concepts mm. and you need to connect people to the culture of the company and what the company's trying to accomplish with those kinds of big concepts. I really, you know, each of the three concepts that you talked about, I think are very powerful. But the one that really hit home is the open door, especially I'm just looking at the times line from 1970s to close to 1990s. So we did not have that much of communication enabling tools from text to WhatsApp to this to that. Okay. Yeah. So what this tells me, it is the spirit, it is the culture that opens doors and connects us. It's not just the tools, because IBM those days did not need all these tools, but to create this whole culture that the very fact if you were my boss, I can go to your boss anytime I wish I need to. That itself is a priceless pressure cooker valve to have, to know I'm cared for in the organization. I love that. Thank you for sharing.
even even if you never exercised it, to yep. know that you can or that you've seen other people do it and they've gotten results from it. Yep. And that gives you incredible faith in the organization. I have to digress. Okay. My first job in India was in a steel company for a person, the CEO, I was a management trainee, and the company had close to 110,000 employees. His name is Rusi Modi. He has passed away a few years back. And Rusi Modi is a person who would meet any human being and would never forget that person's name, never. And you know, finally, after six months of knowing him, one day I became really brave and asked Mr. Modi by saying, sir, how do you remember names? And what I never will forget was the answer I got was a question. He said, no, Arjun, I have to ask you, how do you not remember names? And, you know, this would be, then he explained, if you care, you remember. And the whole company was based on that he cared about every interaction, every time, and the whole company's culture. And again, it is, you know, 1985, 1990, somewhere in that period of time. It's really fascinating that over the years, as we have added these tools, we still have to communicate from the heart. And that takes me to, you know, I did a little homework just to, you know, sh show off a little bit to you. You is, show up every day, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. So to me, you have been quoted as saying that this is a human world where integrity, experience, and relationships matter. And this is what defines you and your core success. Can you elaborate a little bit more? And let me repeat, this is such a beautiful statement. This is a human world where integrity, experience, and relationships matter. So I'm going to, rather than pontificate on this, I'm going to try and keep this as simple as I can. Um, I, I care about the humanity of people and companies. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that that humanity is is represented by the integrity that people have the experience that people bring and the relationships that people cultivate mm -hmm. through their life not just today mm -hmm. and so the question to me is What capital does an individual develop in their humanity? Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about human capital, mm -hmm. the human capital to me is made up of those elements. And what's, what's, the, what's the quantity of your human capital? What's the quantity of your integrity? What's the quantity of your experience that you can bring to bear? And what's the value of your relationships? And what will you, in those three things, what, will, what are you willing to do for the world? 
love that. So to me, let's go back to sales. As VP of sales at Miller Highly, what was key to leading sales transformation for some of the world's greatest companies? Key, big word, small number of letters. Um, uh, the thing I would say first, change is hard. Mm -hmm. Sales transformation, big companies, change is hard. So I'll, I'll give you a, a comparison. I've been in many companies that are on their third CRM system. And they're in the midst of their transformation from their second to their third. And I ask them, so, you know, what was wrong with number one or number two? It'd take a lot of work to get them to admit that there was nothing wrong with number one or number two. Mm -hmm. That the only reason that they're changing from number two to number three mm -hmm. is because they had not been able to get their people to change. Software was fine. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get their people to change. Whether that meant at a senior level mm -hmm. or whether that meant at a first line level. And that same thing is true of whatever level of sales process exists. Because there's a, a, a long-term debate as to whether sales is an art or a science. And there are people who will go to their grave willing to say, sales is an art and I am the world's greatest artist. Mm. And no one else can do it in the way that I do it. And there are others that want to reduce sales to nothing but a set of equations. Mm. Sales is a science. And the truth lies, of course, in between. But turning that into a process that has life and is focused on the client, not on the company, and changes tied to getting the change accomplished by the first line managers. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the, the key that says, if the first line managers can change first and then lead the change, mm -hmm. then the change will work. Mm -hmm. If you try and change by PowerPoint or by declaration from above, um, or if you expect salespeople to change, but they don't see anything changing above them, mm -hmm. might as well not start. So starting the journey to make sure you get buy-in 
and commitment to transition is very important. So when you and reflect, you get, go ahead. If you, have, if, if you have sponsorship from the leadership team is wonderful, you can't live without it. But if you don't get, if you don't get um, fingers pricked with blood by the first line managers, mm -hmm. nothing will happen because the change happens in a relationship between an individual and their boss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to me, I think, you know, looking beyond sales just connects me to a moment in my career when from marketing, I had just been promoted to VP of marketing and operations services was very proud of everything we had done in marketing. So first restaurant in, this is for Papa John's International. So St. Louis, first restaurant, go in, talk to the general manager by saying, hey, what do you think about the marketing stuff we do? Of course, he, you know, the VP is here. He said, oh, you guys are brilliant, blah, 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 blah. And finally, he said, sir, but I have one question. I'm like, okay. So it literally takes me to the back office and the back office in any pizza restaurant is literally at most maybe a three and a half feet by three and a half feet room. Okay. I've seen him. And so he looked at, pointed me to the wall and said, sir, everything you say, all the posters I put on the wall. Next time, when you roll out the next big idea, can you tell me what not to do? You know, I just sat there and I realized, and I'm connecting the dot base to, to the 20 year old pastor. It was not about me creating content, but it was outcome for them. And I really love the way you connected the thread from there to sales, to success in sales all through, because if it doesn't help them, why are we doing this? So now I'm going to synthesize everything because every person I talked to about this conversation told me that this is their learning moment, not just mine. So these three questions have been somewhat crowdsourced. Okay? I'm ready. So the first question is, what are some key pillars of sales that has not changed for the last 20, 25 years? Well, I appreciate that that's a, a multiple choice question, key pillars. I'm yes. only going to give you one. Okay, thank you. Sales is about how the client wants to buy, not about how you want to sell. Period. You can draw that thread all the way back to my learning at the back of the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Walk the back of the church of that because exactly yeah how people right. wanted to listen how, exactly. how do they want to buy not how you want to sell don't bother rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic mm -hmm. figuring out how you want to reorganize your sales force what you want to do get to know your clients better to know how and why they want to buy Love that. Sell to them how they want to be sold to. So what has changed? Like 
in sales in the last five to 10 years. That's really important. Well, that, that, that's, more, that's more than one. Um, the first one is the number of people in the buying process. Hmm. There are more people, more cross-functional people, uh, more committees, uh, more people to have to influence. Mm -hmm. um, how advanced they are in the buying process before their buying process, it's not your buying process, mm -hmm. their buying process, before they even contact you. Mm -hmm. Or if you're contacting them, and they're actually interested. They're they're they already they're already way down the they're down the road. Mm -hmm. um, what their expectations are from you, mm -hmm. because what they can get from public sources, that's not what they expect from you. They they expect a couple of simple things. They expect honesty. Mm -hmm. They expect absolute directness. And they expect the salesperson or the sales team, because if there's a number of buyers, you, you, you need to have a team mm -hmm. that meets them. They expect for your team to actually be part mm -hmm. of the value of what your company brings, not just a conveyor of a message. Mm -hmm but to be part of the value proposition. Love that. So what are, what's one common misconception about sales strategy that you would like to debunk? Um, so this is going to be hard to say, considering that I'm coming to you, you know, leading an AI company. Mm -hmm. But um, th there's a, there's a growing belief, and, and my friend Jonathan Farrington, who, who writes Top Sales magazine out of the UK, is the publisher, wrote an article about it recently. There's, a, there's this belief that if you just keep investing in technology mm -hmm. instead of people, sales will magically increase. Mm -hmm. Um, if you go to a conference, all of the discussion is about the sales stack and the marketing stack to a degree. And the investment in people mm -hmm. is disappearing. Mm -hmm. The investment, what investment are we going to give people? Well, we're going to give you more software. We're going to give you more tools. And well, who does the technology serve after all? Who, who is it that needs to get better, more productive, more skilled, more effective because of the technology? But in the meantime, the people themselves are getting left behind because the assumption is the technology will take care of that. And it's not. That triggers a question, and you know this comes from somebody I know very well, and I know you know him too. I'm talking about myself. When somebody like me, a micro entrepreneur, gets very excited before a sales is closed, 
to showcase what can I do? How do you find the right balance of being true to the company, closing the sales and then delivering and instead showing too much? Like, how do you find that balance? Um, I just, to me, there's only one word. I just, I just got off of a, of a Zoom call with a CEO, a guy I'd never met before and, and oh no, I had contacted him using technology. Shock of shocks. Mm -hmm. But um, we had a half an hour meeting and the word that I would use is authenticity. Mm -hmm. in, in order to really make a difference, mm -hmm. someone has to really, from the beginning, from the first words that you say, the first questions that you ask, the way that you, in, in modern terminology, the way that you show up, mm -hmm has to be authentically you. Love that. Now, if you're authentically a jerk, mm -hmm. it's not going to go very well for you. Yeah, but I still can be authentic. So. But you have to be authentic. Mm -hmm. And people today will cut right through it if you're not. Got it. So if you did not follow a path, career path in sales, what would you like to do in life? I don't have a job answer for you, uh, Arjun. Some days I, I think about some kind of a less complex life, mm -hmm. uh, but it would still have to be very people engaged. Mm -hmm. um, relationships are probably the second most important thing in my life to me mm -hmm. next to God. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that if I had some kind of a less complex life, less complex work, I think I'd be bored. Got it. Um, because I mean, I, I'm still working at warp speed for at, at 66 years of age for a reason. Mm -hmm. and and God has put me on this path and I'm following where he leads. So um, I, I, I don't have a better answer for you than that. And also we are all very fortunate to learn from you and you being in this path. But of course I was hoping there would be an answer like you became a golfer and you hired Arjun to be your caddy. But again, truly but, a pleasure. I'm really glad if, you're doing. If some, if someday Arjun, I was good enough to be your caddy. Thank you. I would I would gladly take up that job. I my skills are not are not there and uh I, I would strive to be good enough to be your caddy that you would ask me what club to choose or what's the line on this putt. So next time we do that together. So you are listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen and today this is absolutely a delight and an honor to talk to Rich Blakeman. An amazing people first. Like if you just listen to part of the conversation, you would think you're talking to the head of HR 
at one of the coolest companies on this planet. And that is the asset and the strength that Rich takes in spending a life in tech, leading global teams in channel alliance and in direct sales. And he loves to make an impact. So this last section, Rich, is about rapid questions, you know, for people just to go through this section when they are listening real fast, three to seven word answers. If you're ready, can we start? Fire. Okay. So going beyond sales and strategy, what will be your one advice to anyone in any walk of life to be a successful leader? Um, direct, straight to the point, uh, be authentic. Be authentic, direct, love that. How do you define a big win? You create great results for the client. Great results for the client. Another way, uh, Rich had said earlier, it's all about outcome for them. I won't forget those three words. And what is one reason a company fails to win big? They're focused on themselves. They're focused inwardly. Got it. So when, you know, in your successful career, you have hired a lot of people. What is the one trait which is most important to you when you hired a future sales leader? They care more about their people and their clients than they care about themselves in their career. Love that. Love that. Because so many times I see there are two brands, the personal brand and the company brand and the company and the people brand become seconds and it's a disaster. Love that. Most leaders completely rule out some obstacles from their mind. You know, top athletes I've been fortunate to work with, remove the word no from their dictionary. What's the word not in Rich Blakeman's dictionary? Can't. Brilliant. If Rich in 2020, with all his wisdom, went back and talked to that 20 year old, just got married, that young man, what would be one advice he would give that kiddo? Don't worry about things you can't control. Amazing. So finally, last thing, first, first thing, last thing, like I always find leaders like you have processes because without process, you know, success cannot be repeated. Is there a ritual or a process you have when you start your work day or when you finish your work day that you're comfortable sharing? Um. I turn on my computer every morning and I look back at yesterday and make an assessment of what I set out to accomplish and make an assessment of what I did accomplish. Mm -hmm. And then I set a plan for the day based on that assessment rather than just going into my day with no plan or with just a calendar to guide me. Mm -hmm. um, I try and self-correct as often as I possibly can. So, you know, this has been such a pleasure. If you could step in my shoes, what would be one question you would ask Rich Blackman that I have not? How does your wife 
feel about this uh, massive change you've made at age 66 to commit to uh, working in a completely different environment with completely different people and, and turning your life upside down because God told you to do it. Okay, Rich, I have a question for you. What does your wife feel about you at the age of 66 taking this big challenge totally turning not only yours, but her life upside down for this amazing challenge in a field. The AI part is new, but exciting. And doing it primarily because you felt connection with God and God told you to do that. So what's the answer, Rich? I'm sorry to ask you a very personal question. Uh, Arjun, you can always ask me any question at any time, and I'll always tell you the truth. Thank you. You always do. Um, it scares her, mm -hmm. um, it worries her, but she has 45 years of confidence in me and in us. Mm -hmm. And with that, she thinks that's enough and she knows that I'm enough. So you talked at the very beginning, you started the interview referring to her. We are finishing with that. Can you share a little bit more about her? She being such an amazing human being who has had together, you guys have had the best seat, you know, in each other's life and together. Um, I would not be able to do what I do, have done what I've done, would not have been able to raise an amazing pair of kids, uh, bring them adopted out of Korea at five months old, um, would not have been able to focus on things that caused us to move so many times and just pick up and go without her, not without us. This isn't an us thing in this case, Arjun. This is about my wife, Tammy, and her ability to trust and her ability to believe and then her ability to just execute. You want somebody who can execute on a move, on kid stuff on schools on you name it she was an expert in that part of life and now she's an expert on how do i live my life with all of my groups of friends and do all the things i need to do so that we can have each have individual lives and then have a together life she's absolutely amazing Thank you for sharing about Tammy. And also, you know, it really puts life in perspective and how lucky and fortunate you are. And also knowing you, I also have to add that she is, you know, both of you are fortunate to have each other. So Rich, this is truly a pleasure. Anything else you want to share 
because we could talk for hours, but anything else you want to share before we wrap this conversation? Well, what I want to share is that six months ago, Arjun, I didn't know you. And one of the first things I learned about you is that, you know, we, if, if I hadn't moved some years ago, we would have been neighbors. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and now I consider you a, a very dear friend and colleague. And you're in my collection of, of lifetime friends. Wow. And to me, that's the, the importance of being able to create this, uh, I'll keep using Nick's words until I find better ones, this tribe of mentors. Mm -hmm. And um, you praise me for things that I add to your life. And I praise you for what you do and, and inspire and, and what, you've, what you accomplish and and how that makes me feel and and uh, what kind of a relationship we have um if if people don't understand that that's how real business gets done um and in my case mm -hmm. if i don't believe that god has a hand in that mm -hmm. uh you, you know that that's 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 the way that that's the way that real life real business gets done mm -hmm. and uh, I appreciate you more than you can possibly imagine it's truly an honor truly an honor and thank you for sharing so this has been an incredible conversation first I just want to look at a few of the key nuggets which shared with me Right away, he talked about, as a 20-year-old, about content is everything, and it's all about the result of what we do is defined by the outcome for others. And that's the theme that he has all through. Second, I really think it's very, very important for all of us, especially in current times where stress is at all-time high. This COVID situation is not going away anytime sooner. Hopefully, it will but we need to have a plan. And that's the reason he put this beautiful concept of supply and demand. If you do not have a natural resupply mechanism, you will wear yourself down by demand. Okay. All of us have the same wealth, 24 hours in a day. How we use it is very important, especially now more than ever. And one of the things he talked about, Rich talked about is how can we get fans around us, mentors around us who inspire us, who are there in these tough times, because it's very important to have these cheerleaders. They are like trapeze as we jump and take those big leaps. Then as you start going through, he also talked about when we got into sales, that's one of the clear big areas is you get paid for results, not activities. And I was doing the math then he, for the first six months, Rich didn't sell anything and finished at 175% just by focusing on activities. Of course, he had an amazing boss who was very encouraging and gave him this mantra. So think, literally, first six months performed at zero, second half performed at 350% of target, assuming the target was equally distributed. That's what changes as you start looking at. 
And finally, the whole thing about communication, that open door policy. But I want to finish with the reason I actually, the hidden reason why I interviewed Rich. My, he broke a paradigm for me. Anytime I talk to a salesperson, these are people on a given, if we speak 100 words, it's usually that person, 80, I'm 20, and I love to speak. There's this paradigm that salespeople have to outspeak you, literally tire you out till you say yes, please. In my first conversation with Rich at the end of a conference call, he spoke only once in the last two minutes. And those two minutes, I'm not being disrespectful to others, others were amazing, but those two minutes were the most important two meetings for me personally. And that's the spirit of different kinds of people, different walks of life is this assertiveness, strategicness, and people first matters. And I really wanted to bring in front and share with all of you with pride about my friend Rich, who is made totally from a different, I don't know what he's made of, but I really appreciate Rich for who you are. And thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts. And for all of you today, you will have, and you must be enjoying thoroughly this conversation with Rich. Please subscribe, share, and review the podcast with friends. Happy listening. And Rich, one more time, thank you, my friend. Anytime, my friend. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.